Welcome to the Positive Talk podcast with hosts Julie Homrich and Chuck Allen. You picked a great day to join in the conversation as Julie, a psychotherapist, and Chuck, a pastor, merge faith and psychology to help you live with greater peace and purpose. Thanks again for joining us today for the Positive Talk podcast. Here are your hosts, Chuck and Julie. Hi, everybody, and thanks so much for joining us for another episode of the Positive Talk podcast. While we're in season three, we have had such a wonderful response to this season, but I want to encourage you, if you've missed season one and season two, to drop back and catch all of our previous episodes on the PositiveTalkPodcast.com, just PositiveTalkPodcast.com. You can always uh, share these, and I hope that you will, because today we're talking about a subject that I think all of us need, all of us want, and all of us feel at times, Mm -hmm. and that is compassion, Julie. Yeah. And as always, as I've just mentioned, I'm with my dear friend and my coworker, who is just really a wonderful human. This is Julie Homrich, just therapist wow, extraordinary. Chuck, that is an incredible introduction. Thank I know you I was just that. making that stuff up, and <laughs> yeah. I just thought, you know, why not go with it? A little over the top, but I'll take it. I know. I did. Um, don't you feel? Don't you feel really important right very, now? Very, very valued. I'm so glad. Then thank, I did my thank job. Thank you for that compassionate and exciting <laughs> introduction. So yes, as you mentioned, Chuck, we are going to discuss. Today, something that is, I think, relevant for all of us because we all encounter crisis in our life, in our community, and in our world. And the question is, how do we respond to crisis in a compassionate way? way. Mm-hmm. And I love that we have this this kind of very specific example that you're going to talk through too about this initiative that got opened up for you and Sugar Hill Church, specifically in the town of Uvalde, Texas. Right. And I think this will help our listeners move from a place of feeling maybe frozen or helpless in light of crises, both locally and globally, into learning some actionable steps of compassion. And these are things that will make a lasting impact in this world. And then also, this is this is really cool, Chuck, it helps us reduce our own underlying unsettling fear as well. I think that's true, Julie. We, we live in a world where it feels like we have a, a crisis of some sort that is announced every day. Yeah. And I, I fear at times in my life that I can even grow jaded Absolutely. toward all the crises. Mm-hmm. And I know we'll talk about that in a moment. Yeah. But crisis... In today's world, it feels like we have only two extreme options, mm. which is, okay, I want to blame somebody yeah, or it just builds my fear. Right, right. right. But if you look at it through a more centrist perspective to realize, okay, you don't have to live on both of those extremes. Mm-hmm. In Uvalde in May 24, if you remember, 19 children and two teachers were massacred in Robb Elementary School. Yeah. Now, having read all the details and reports, we made a uh, conscious effort to have this five-year effort to stay in Uvalde, be there every quarter, because we've learned three things that I really think are fascinating when it comes to how God kind of lit up my compassion mm-hmm. toward Uvalde, Texas, place I've never been before, right. people that I'd never met before. Mm-hmm. So on my first trip, which was intended to work with Border Patrol, the very first thing I recognized was this sense that there's a cloud Hanging over the city. Heaviness. Yeah. A deep heaviness. is It's the right word for it. Understandably so. Yeah. And so as a result, you can, I think at times you can feel Mm -hmm. the weight of compassion. Mm -hmm. You know, the second thing was that you can humanize it. Mm -hmm. When you start talking with people, just servers at a restaurant, Mm 
yeah. or uh, where I checked in at a hotel mm-hmm. or uh, just meeting people, just, you know, stopping by gas. Getting up close to people. You begin yeah. to understand every person in the city is a victim. Mm-hmm. So you humanize it. Yeah. But then the third part is that you, rather than trying to focus on who's at fault, try to figure out, can you be hands and feet that can go and do good work to help repair? Mm-hmm. Now, this is kind of the heart of the conversation today about compassion in action. Yeah. Because true compassion can leave you with a softer heart. Yeah, absolutely. But compassion in action moves that heart into physically doing something, even if it's just prayer Yeah. or something from a distance. Well, I think it's interesting because if you think about the, the definition of compassion, it's defined as the recognition of another suffering and a desire to alleviate that suffering. So the actionable part is second there. Now, if you're someone who like me heard about the shooting at Rob elementary and felt both overwhelmed and I felt kind of frozen, kind of numb at that moment. Um, I want to normalize that initial response. That's Mm -hmm. where we start, but it's not where we end. Right. Right. So we talk a lot on this podcast about this fight, flight, freeze response. And this happens whenever our nervous system feels or senses a threat. So if you're watching media coverage about a school shooting and you have an elementary age child or a child of any age for that matter, uh, it feels threatening, right? And your nervous system is responding appropriately for that moment. Now, the challenge is that many of us get stuck in that yes. nervous system response and we don't move through it. And this keeps us in this sort of low level state of fear and anxiety, um, maybe about the people around us, instead of moving through that initial response into a state of compassion, into a state of understanding or peace, which does lead to action. Right. And I think many of our listeners can relate to this. You know, after something tra- tragic happens, um, we can kind of live in this state of suppressed anxiety and we don't really know what to do with it. So I, I hear this a, a lot. I mean, I'm relatively action and missional activities. Action-oriented. Um, but I was stuck. Mm-hmm. Just, I mean, I, kept, I couldn't get my mind off of my grandchildren yeah. going to school knowing that, this could happen in any school in, in America. Mm-hmm. And I found myself thinking, but what could I do? Yeah. You know, and, you know, one of the first things I do believe that, um, that, that started to happen to me is this low level anxiety that mm-hmm. you're talking about. Mm-hmm. And it, it can grab hold of your soul yeah. in such a way that it's, it's like you can get rid of it. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's, it's like, like one of those sand spurs when I was a kid growing up in Florida, they would attach to your socks. You know, and it just, <laughs> the little they prickles. hurt, they just kept annoying you all day yeah, long yeah. and you just couldn't get rid of them. Yeah. That's what it feels like, uh-huh. you know, but I, I have learned this, that when you think that there's nothing that you can do with that anxiety, mm-hmm. you have forgotten how powerful you really can be with a heart of compassion. Yeah. Because there's something that, I mean, the divine has a way of using this compassion that he has trusted you with. Right. I think that's good that this is an element of, yeah. you know, you've been entrusted with this. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Now, what are we going to do with that trust? Mm-hmm. And so there's, there's a piece of me that, probably says, 
So what what do I do first when I have this when I have this overwhelming sensation of compassion? Mm-hmm. Now what do I do with it? Yeah, well, I think true compassion requires us to first of all pay attention, right? Yeah. Because when we're preoccupied with our own lives, we won't even enter into the compassion process. Right, um, we're just kind of focused on the daily grind, and if something does uh, intersect with that, we might just ignore it or avoid it. But based on research, you know, I'm bringing in the I research. Know, I'm just, I know. Uh, <laughs> I always feel like I'm I'm literally living with a partner here that is a Wikipedia of <laughs> research. Like I go home and I tell my wife consistently, "Let me tell you what Julie said today," <laughs> and she's like, "Wow, she is so smart." And I'm like, "Well, she, nah, she just researches a lot." But I told her the other day, I said, "You know." She, she may have no life at all, Jen. She yeah, might just yeah. read all the time. Yeah, that's all I do. Just I'm a thought. Super boring. So <laughs> <laughs> that's not what I said, but okay. It's okay. No, really, I I I find joy, great joy, in researching. So <laughs> when we think about compassion, hopefully this is helpful. Chuck is just sitting here laughing. Hopefully this is helpful to our listeners. Um, it consists of five elements. Okay. So I'm yep. doing preacher okay. talk now, breaking it down into smaller pieces. All right. Compassion consists of one, recognizing suffering, mm-hmm. two, understanding the universality of human suffering, which is what yeah. you said earlier, kind of humanizing it. Three, feeling for the person suffering. And if you're listening, try to kind of put yourself in the last time you felt compassion and personalize this. Four, tolerating uncomfortable feelings, which Mm -hmm. we're really going to kind of dig into today because compassion is not always easy. And then five, motivation to act or acting to alleviate that suffering. Wow, those five are, that's really strong. mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and it's not complete until we act, right? Whether yeah. that's through prayer or whether that's through a specific action, we can get stuck in that place of, you know, uncomfortable feelings or just low level anxiety. Yeah, the concept of the universality mm-hmm. is to me, that's, it's, it's a big concept to, to wrap your head around. Crises are out there everywhere. Yeah. How we receive it in compassion is probably as unique as our DNA. Yeah. And it's interesting because if we are in touch with our own need, mm-hmm. um, then we are able to understand the universality of the fact that suffering is universal, right? right. We're able to right. connect with other people's needs. So to kind of walk through the process, if you've ever wondered what happens in your brain in moments like this, once you kind of see a crisis, like what happened at Rob mm-hmm. Elementary, an interesting thing happens in the brain. So our distress or our threat circuitry actually lights up. So there have been, you know, MRIs are studying this. And what we call that is empathetic distress. And that is where we start to feel kind of that little bit of pain for someone else. Right. 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 Unfortunately, Chuck, many of us get stuck in empathetic distress. I think those two words together are really powerful. Yeah. You know, Empathy. Mm-hmm. Ooh, I feel for you. Yeah, I put myself in your yeah. shoes. And as a result, I'm distressed. Distressed. It, it didn't yeah. happen to me, but I, yeah. I am deeply distressed by it, which I can see how you get stuck there. Yeah, well, and think about this. You know, we're here on the Positive Talk podcast, and we always talk about positivity and how, mm-hmm. but really, when we are able to move through difficult things, that's what brings us to a place of peace and positivity. If yeah. we ignore the distress, yeah. and if we just are always like, I can't tolerate any uncomfortable feelings. Mm-hmm. We won't have that true empathy because it does feel That's difficult so at times. So there's this process. And when you know research scientists have studied compassion, there's actually
actually people who do this. Mm-hmm. Um, this process kind of unfolds. Um, now, here's the interesting thing. That process can collapse at different points along the way. And staying stuck in empathetic distress, it's not only unhelpful for society, but it's actually not good for us individually either. Mm. Because here's why. We just continue to walk around with that little, what'd you call it? Sand? Yeah, the little sand spur. Sand spur. Yeah. I've never heard. We just want like little, little prickle, pricklies, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I just call them pricklies. See, that's very non-scientific, pricklies. Well... You but, know, being the scientist I am, I went with Sandsbury. Yeah, yeah Sandsbury, there you go. But we just continue to kind of walk around feeling that, feeling anxious, feeling no alleviation of that distress because yeah, but, we either but avoid. Why do we do that? Seriously, like why do we? Why does that happen? So we might do one of two things. We might minimize the crisis, mm-hmm. like say, oh, it's not really that bad. Or we might catastrophize the crisis. And what that looks like is us being like, it's so bad that there's nothing I can do to help. Well, both extremes are pretty dangerous. Exactly. Minimize or catastrophize. Um, We might have biases that keep us from engaging. Um, We may begin to blame, you know, in this case, the locals or the lack of mental health accessibility or guns or the president or whatever. Yeah, whatever, right? Because we are a society that loves to place blame. We love to blame because it's our mind's way of shifting responsibility off of us. Whoa. So let's just stop and put a period on that statement. And let me say it again. Blaming is our mind's way of shifting responsibility off of us. Yes, because even if you didn't cause something, like yeah. you said, you're entrusted with potentially a way to respond to it, right? right? And so when we do that, uh, oftentimes it's because we either don't know what to do or we don't think we're capable of doing anything. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, think about that the next time you're kind of prone to rant about the government or whatever. Sure. But this um, is kind of at the heart of polarized society, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's easy for me to see the correlation here yeah. of how people can be on these fringes. And in some ways, compassion can literally lead you to uh, an action that's a bit, or actually, I, I guess, completely outside of your norm. Yeah. And if you get stuck, this is where a lot of times people who tend to be very polarized, they have this belief that I'm this radical on this side because I mm. care about the people, right? right That's right. an example of getting stuck in that empathetic distress yeah. and not moving through the process in a way that is actually like helpful and you know connected and things like that. I saw like this that. video the other day. This just made me think about it, Julie. I don't even, I don't even know where I saw it. I saw this video of a uh, uh, elderly couple, which were probably my age, but an elderly <laughs> couple that had sat down on a plane, uh-huh. right? And so, husband's on the aisle, wife's in the middle seat, guy in the um, in the in the window seat. Apparently, is a radically different has a radically different politically view than they do. Mm-hmm. So, what you learn in this video is that the older couple is flying out because of a death in their family. Mm. But this lady is so bent out of shape, this guy who doesn't believe in her political convictions. Mm-hmm. So she gets into it with him. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Like all things on airplanes now, he's just videoing her on her phone. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. She gets thrown off the airplane. Wow. Because she couldn't rein that in. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And that's where a lot of times, you know, when I see people who are who are very extreme to the point where it's actually detrimental to their mm-hmm. cause, I think, wow, 
they really, really, really care about this. They just yeah, haven't been yeah. able to move this into a into a place that's that's actually effective and helpful. They're yeah. stuck in you know this this kind of ragey mentality, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So I have one more story. Yes. I just have to say this. To you. This is this. Uh, you you may say, Chuck, that's so off topic. It has nothing to do with this. But Be, I'm gonna, wait, me say that's so off topic about something you say. I just want y'all to recognize <laughs> that Julie right now is being highly sarcastic and. I am deeply wounded. <laughs> by, I am offended deeply by that sarcasm. I just want you to know that. Okay, let's let's go for it. Go okay. off off the train. Okay, I'm so ready. I'm I'm going to take this risk. So <laughs> I go to see an Atlanta Braves baseball game a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Okay, now I am a non-denominational Christian pastor. Mm-hmm. Okay, but my friend that I'm going with is Orthodox Jew. Okay. Right. One of the greatest guys on the planet, yeah. right? We're leaving and we're headed back to the car after the ball game. And there's this um, kind of like a, a preacher kind of guy, like sidewalk preacher. Yep. Who's got the like the Costco microphone and yep. sound system. And he is screaming mm-hmm. at the top mm-hmm. of his lungs mm-hmm. that we all need to repent or we're going to hell. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm, I dig this guy's passion, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, right, awesome right. You can that? appreciate that. <laughs> but this, my friend just looks at me and he says, if you've ever wondered why I don't believe like you do, yeah. just take a look at that. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh my stars, there is passion that went over the edge. Compassion yeah. can do the same. Yeah, absolutely. It yeah. can. If we, if we don't take the time to really consider how is this helpful to the person or the right. people that we're actually caring right. about? Yeah. Right. Okay. So back to topic. <laughs> back to topic. <laughs> Let's go for it. So compassion. Um, I guess this is maybe that maybe this isn't actually the the right question, but is compassion can it actually be good for us, not just others? Mm-hmm. Like in, I've I've always. I've always felt like even my, my mom would, when, when I had this sense of compassion, my mom was like, oh, I'm so glad you have a soft heart. Mm-hmm. And I thought, I didn't even know I did, yeah. you know, and people around me would definitely say I, they didn't know I did. But <laughs> but I, is it healthy? I mean, I've always heard it's yeah. a good thing. Yeah. Well, and this is what's so interesting. One thing I love about merging faith and psychology and biology for that matter is that, okay, God actually created our bodies to operate at their best when we are showing compassion. Mm. So I love how this is all merged and integrated. Compassion is not only good for the hearts of those we serve, but it's good for our heart as well. Mm. And here's why, Chuck. Our bodies produce a hormone called oxytocin when we show compassion. That is being produced. It's being released in our bodies. And our physical hearts actually have these kind of built-in receptors for oxytocin, okay? So when oxytocin oxytocin levels are high, like when we're feeling and experiencing compassion, those heart receptors, they take in the oxytocin and that hormone has this effect of helping our heart cells regenerate. It helps our heart even heal from Mm. damage that may have occurred just throughout life or hard living or whatever. Um, Oxytocin also serves as an anti-inflammatory, which we all know what inflammation does in the body. Well, most people know what inflammation does in the body. And it serves as an antioxidant. It's called the cuddle hormone because oxytocin is released by touch as well. And it helps us feel connected to whatever's in front of us. I like the fact that um, science 
faith, biology, you take all the things you want to put together. It's like the entire universe came together to conspire toward this one good thing. (laughs) And that is when we are kind of actively working through compassion, our heart is healing. Yeah. And there aren't many things out there that you can literally say this actually heals your heart. Mm -hmm. It actually restores your heart. Mm -hmm. This is where scripture and and yeah. and psychology comes so close together. I mean, mm-hmm. they are one in this. Yeah. I mean, Jesus makes a point of saying that God draws near the brokenhearted. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, what draws someone near the brokenhearted is compassion. Yeah. And and I think it's interesting that you can you can be moved by compassion and by moving to those who are brokenhearted, you're actually drawing near mm-hmm. to the divine. To me, uh, as a person of faith, yeah. that's where I would look at this and say, well, of course it's good for you. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, I think about it like God doesn't give us these, you know, commands or, or, you know, admonitions Mm -hmm. without giving us what we need to fulfill them, right? That it actually helps us as a person. Um, Not that we do it for that reason, but again, you know, he created us to be able to do this. Well, like when we went to Uvalde with a team of about 33 or so people, um, I watched people who they wanted to go do something. They didn't really know what they were going to do until they got there. But I watched them literally become softer, kinder, gentler, like even with one another, Yeah, you know, and then I saw how that remained on them when they came back, Mm -hmm. you know, it wasn't like, you know, youth camp movement, kumbaya, around the fire and s'mores, you know, it was really just my life has literally been changed. Yeah. And one thing that's really interesting about compassion is that as you learn more about it, you start to not only offer compassion to other people, but you are able to offer compassion to yourself. Yeah. It's that softening. I love that. Right? So you begin to, your li- our lives are better when we are yeah. able to receive grace and offer compassion yeah, to I ourselves and not be rigid about expectations that we have on ourselves and others. But that could, again, lead to a different extreme, which is the idealization yeah. Of compassion, right? Yeah, I think sometimes we do idealize compassion. We think it's supposed to be this warm, fuzzy feeling all the time. Mm. And this misconception is dangerous, Chuck, because when we have that expectation and maybe it doesn't feel that way, then we might bail. Yeah. So, you know, you and I would probably agree with this. Compassionate people, they're some of the most grittiest, they're tough, they're determined people because they're willing to enter into that empathetic distress. Like who's going to actually move toward distress, right? There has to be some kind of motivation there. And they're going to move through it beyond the fear, beyond the uncertainty, beyond the self-doubt into action. Mm -hmm. And so when we look at the, the brains of people who are doing this, when they are experiencing compassion, there are multiple areas of the brain that are being activated. And we see this by what lights up on fMRIs. And when somebody is feeling compassion, there's an area of distress that's being lit up, but there's also an area of hope activated. So when you're experiencing compassion and you have that sense of connection to suffering, either your own or someone else's, we see a very strong neural response connected to Mm. hope. And I think that's really interesting because when we're in that difficult time, when we're in that empathetic distress and we think, gosh, is this worth it to really care and sacrifice and love? We can ask ourselves this question, do I want to live an easy life without deeper purpose? We have that choice, right? Right, absolutely. Or 
Do I want to take the risk to enter into a state of compassion, experience as a result the depths of hope and connection that come with that risk? Because without the risk, then there there really isn't much reward in life. As as with usual, you know, as usual with most things. Yeah. 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 So I um I, I used this line, do you want to live an easy life without deeper purpose or do you want to take that risk? I used that line of yours in a blog post, post a week or two ago called uh, Captain Compassion. Captain Compassion. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Superhero. But I wrote it specifically about a principal that I've met in Uvalde mm-hmm. who uh, was a high school dropout as a kid. His family moved to Chicago. He gets back in school works his way through college, earns his PhD, now is a principal of a high school back in Uvalde in his hometown for students who were all once dropouts, wow. most of which have their own children. Yeah. So wow. um, what I discovered in him is he's Captain Compassion. Mm-hmm. I mean, this guy is so radically moved to action by compassion, but the, the amount of work on him expectation on him Mm. to accomplish what he does with literally no support. Support, I mean, the facilities that he and his faculty work in, most of us wouldn't leave a dog to be boarded there, Mm. much less send our children there. And, but I watch him, he has such pride about doing everything he can. And I thought to myself, this is a guy who's taking a risk Mm -hmm. and you can genuinely see how much he loves those kids how much he loves his work, and he's radically fulfilled. Yeah. I mean, how does a guy like that in Uvalde, Texas, live such a contented life? Mm-hmm. Because he took the risk and he stepped into this, um, what do we call it? Uh, distress. Empathetic distress. Yeah, he yeah. stepped into an empathetic distress, mm-hmm. and he and he did what you said earlier. He worked his way through it. Yeah, by not listening to the fear or the self-doubt or whatever it is that tries to prevent us from moving to action. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess for me, it's, it's, I, I would, I would encourage everybody today. One, don't, um, don't be shocked when crises happen, Mm -hmm. except the fact that we, we live in a world where a crisis could happen any moment, any day, including where we're at. Yeah. So you can't live in that fear because it's reality. Right. At the same time, don't be afraid to jump into this empathetic distress, knowing that when you work your way through it, there is this reward factor Mm -hmm. of being able to experience some joy, some peace, uh, some fulfillment and contentment because you could do what you could. Right. It, it reminds me of a story in the in the Bible, Julie, where this lady comes to, uh, she comes into the room and all she has to her name is a small bottle of oint, anointed oil. Mm-hmm. It's like perfume. Mm-hmm. And the Bible says that this, this small jar is worth about an annual wage. Mm-hmm. So let's just say the annual wage is $80,000. Her bottle is worth 80 grand. Yeah. And she breaks the seal and she pours the whole thing on Jesus to anoint him, right? Mm-hmm. Which doesn't sound normal, but at the time it it's was a big cultural, deal. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, at the time the disciples were like, girl, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. Like you could have sold that and fed the poor. Yeah. And in typical, I mean, they said that as if that's something they had been doing well, <laughs> right. you know, yeah. but then Jesus, he hushes them down. Mm-hmm. I mean, he doesn't scold her. He scolds them. Yeah. He says, leave her alone. She's done a good thing. And then he makes what I think is the big point of the story, which is, she has done what she could. What she can, yeah. Right? Yeah. So for me, working our way through this empathetic distress and working our way through compassion often isn't thinking, oh my gosh, I can't go to Uvalde. Right. Okay. It's not about doing everything. It's That's about right. doing something what you can and really 
it's okay to have boundaries around Absolutely. what you do. You know, Brene Brown talks about how the most empathetic people she knows are the most boundaried. Absolutely. They have really healthy boundaries because yes. they're able to know what they can do and what That's they can't right. do. And they don't burn out in it. Exactly. And so it would be easy to say, well, I'm going to respond to every crisis. Mm-hmm. Like, quick story. So a few years ago, I was working on the southern border a lot. Mm-hmm. And then there was a hurricane in the Bahamas. So people said, can you come help there? There's so I'm going something. to the Bahamas. I'm yeah. going to the southern border. Wow. And it, before long, I have like five crises really that I'm working at. Mm-hmm. And I crashed and burned, yeah. Julie. And you know what I realized? My compassion had overrun my personal boundaries. And as a result, it wasn't just me that paid the price. It were the projects the too. The people you were serving. And yeah. so this empathetic distress is there for a reason. Mm-hmm. Give us caution, reason, boundaries, honor those. And when you work your way through compassion, sometimes the best thing you do is just stop and pray. Yeah. Or be an encouraging word. Mm-hmm. Or be what you can where you're at. Yeah. And I would just say to folks, the world's in desperate need of men and women of any faith or no faith mm-hmm. to step into empathetic distress and act on your compassion. And here at the Positive Talk podcast, from behalf of Julie and I and the entire team, um, thank you for being a people that join in this conversation. Normalizing the conversation about faith and psychology is a big deal to us yeah. because we can see how these things merge together for good. And so uh, as we act on compassion, just know this. You you are not alone. The whole world is trying to figure out what to do to make it better. That's true. And do what you can and know that all you can do is all you can do. And oftentimes, all you can do is good enough. It's enough. Yeah. yeah. So thanks for joining us this week as uh, we just continue to merge faith and psychology here on the Positive Talk podcast. Julie, thanks again for another great episode and for our engineer in the next room, Parker. Uh, buddy, you're, you're really doing great. We are grateful for you. Yes, we God are. bless you guys. We'll see you next week. Thanks again for joining Chuck and Julie for this week's Positive Talk podcast. We would love to hear from you and tackle a few of your questions. So visit our website at positivetalkpodcast.com and look for the leave a voicemail button. And be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Positive Talk Podcast. Thanks again and go in peace.